Danny, good afternoon. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great because this is actually working through my headphones again. Yeah. And now we can actually we can actually record it for the podcast as well. Well, no reason to prevaricate any further. Let's bring in our, our first guest here. As soon as they connect, Yams, you're on the air. Hey, um, yeah, my question is just regarding the offensive season we've seen so far from uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Nikola Jokic, and it might be interrupted with COVID. Let's hope it doesn't get interrupted too much. But is this some of the highest level that three players has had in one season offensively at the same time? For me, the only other like trio I could think of was Magic, uh, Jordan, and Bird in the 80s. So I was just wondering what you kind of thought of the that idea as having three guys that playing that high level, like Jokic is having the Will Chamberlain of analytics seasons and Durant and Curry is doing what they're doing, which is just insane. And we have three players at that high level right now. Yeah, I, I guess you can think about it just to, in terms of the comparison to league average, because there are a lot of players who last year who were, I thought, pretty close to that level. I think Steph was statistically better last year, I would say. Um, um, you know, I think in 2016, Curry and LeBron, you know, I don't know if KD was quite at the same level uh, relative to the league that year. I mean, the, the one that you came up with uh, was a great one. In 1988, Jordan wins the MVP. Bird is on one of the best offenses of all time. And Magic, uh, obviously, was unbelievable. He won a championship that year, too. Um, you know, and, and Jokic is definitely right up there this season. I don't know that Steph is quite at that same level. And, you know, KD, he's been great in terms of his individual statistics. The team performance hasn't been there as much, though they've had a lot of offensive players or I'm sorry, a lot of defensive players playing with him. So I don't know. I'd have to really go back and think about this. Uh, anything you want to add on here, Danny, as I kind of just go back through uh, some of the some of the seasons to see if I can find one that I remember? I was trying to think if there was a year like 17, 18 that, that Chris Paul, like because there were those years that Harden and Curry were both really good and whether LeBron or CP ever got there in one year, like maybe 17, 18. But I don't have, I don't have a, one that really screams it for me in there. Um, yeah, let me see if I can go back to, to look at, it. I mean, so some of the, actually here's what I'll do is I'll, I'll take a look at my list of the greatest seasons ever. I think I did that with Hollinger. Hopefully I still have that somewhere. Yeah. Greatest individual seasons ever. We did this during the, during the pandemic pause. So yeah, it, this is, yeah, th this is our list of some of the best seasons ever. And yeah, they weren't really necessarily all happening that many that were happening at the same time e either, I would say. So, uh, and, and that obviously includes a playoff performance as well. Um, yeah, I think, I guess it's just, Danny, do you think that like KD, I mean, I think Jokic, just his individual statistical season, that's kind of inar inarguable. Um, but what do, you, do you think that like Curry and KD are at uh, this ridiculous type of level? The, I think they've both been impressive, but not necessarily at that. I, I think it's been more like, especially when you, I was just looking at some, some EPM stuff. I think that they've both been really impressive, but when you look at like the volume and everything else, I, I, I don't know that it's in like, it, but incredible by historical standards, but they both, they've both been awesome, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I think you would, you would have to, I would say that 2016 with LeBron 
whereas team was 16.1 points for 100 possessions better with him on the floor you know kd just wasn't quite at the same level in the regular season like lebron and curry in 2016 so we're talking six, we're, we're talking like, 15 16 or 16 17 15 16 okay. um we're, we're up at a really really high level um you know i'm not sure if kd quite is at the level that any of those three guys are at this year um yeah i mean i mean are we talking just offense here or are we talking about uh just uh, like overall just great level of performance uh, no matter offense defense uh, totality of contributions i was thinking just offense but we can do both like if there's anything else that comes to mind yeah because Jokic is also having that like still having some defensive impact if you look at his the on and off numbers like there's sure better with him defensively yeah i mean so i i guess basically we could say maybe we can frame it this way of the the best combined impact of the top three players in the league uh, you just ha- having some all-time great seasons that might have to be up there um you know 1993 akeem was awesome that year jordan and barkley all together like that that was a, a really good year um you know 2009 with lebron and kobe but i don't think you really have a third guy that year early 2000s there was like it was just lebron and there really wasn't that second guy you know maybe maybe you could say 2014 with lebron and kd but there really wasn't a third guy that year so yeah it's an interesting question i mean i think this would if you if these guys continue to play out this year this way you might they might be right up there by the top i think so that's that's probably what i would end up with you know you've probably got some years where like wilt and jerry west and oscar robertson were all really good together back in the 60s um but i i would i don't have the greatest understanding of the individual impact like which of their seasons were the best uh for oscar and jerry west back then um all right that's that's a great question i think we could move on here though but hopefully that was uh informative for people who's next danny can go to john john you are on the air hello uh thank you um uh i really appreciate what the nba has done with uh the rule changes this year and and making the game stylistically more pleasant to watch and uh you know a lot of people also bemoan the the demise of the big man and post play uh in the nba Uh, oh they bemoan it (laughs) that is a great word they definitely bemoan it you know i would say that that like hundreds of players in the nba only Jokic and Embiid are probably the only two legitimate players that you can run your offense through and create high efficiency office offense in the post so i'm wondering is would you support any you know rule changes to try to bring back the big man at the post and uh specifically um would you potentially support eliminating uh offensive three seconds i I think i've never liked the rule um i read that it was instituted first in like the 1930s but it seems very outdated it's inconsistently officiated and i don't know why we have to limit uh offensive post players when there's so few of them and it's such a small part of the game right now so i just wanted to get your thoughts on that nate i'll let you i'll let you run first on that um my brain's still ruminating on it a little bit offensive three seconds oh no it has to be there it it would be miserable it would just be if there were no offensive three seconds the optimum strategy would be just get the tallest guy you could and have him stand directly under the basket at all times uh and either try to throw it to him or just let him get every offensive rebound i mean that's one of the biggest reasons that that defense has the, the 
advantage on the defensive glasses because of three seconds everyone would just be trying to post up directly under the rim if you just had to defend someone right at the basket for 24 seconds it would just be very stationary it'd be very boring i mean the rule came in first due to george mikan they moved it from six feet which was a, a pretty ridiculous like if you just look at one of those old courts like in hoosiers like what the six foot lane looked like it was just totally ridiculous uh to be at three side three feet on either side of the basket so they upped it to 12 feet in the mikan era and then then they moved it up to 16 because of wilt and you know i think 16 is a really good number uh i think you want you want the paint open both so that more drives can occur and also just so that you don't have oh well if you're the biggest guy okay you're dominating you know that's that's the reason that came in they wanted to emphasize skill over just being a big brute and frankly i you know despite the fact that i kind of play as a big man when it, when i used to play and that's how i grew up posting up isn't really that exciting to me like i know people are like oh they want there to be different styles and i think all right if you're awesome at posting up you can still be effective at it you know i don't think we need uh you know bill cartwright sweeping hook shot across the lane uh the, i think we're we're better off without that so i i will respectfully disagree with you i think the rules in terms of bigs and post play are pretty good i think play facing the basket driving to the basket shooting off the dribble uh is good and then you know there's still plenty of post-up players who are smaller players who will take advantage of size mismatches as well i, I happen to really like the game aesthetically i think they fixed the one big problem with it which was uh, the bullshit files on the perimeter so i'm really happy with the where the game's at right now what i'm gonna add in there uh i was thinking along the same lines as you um is first of all it's an entertainment product and i think it leads to a more entertaining product to not have the rule change you know to, to have the three second rule the other thing is we're we are seeing some very effective interior scores it's just that they're not doing it via post-ups i mean the year that you, that zion had last year some of the stuff that that Giannis has put up and you can make an argument and i would that yes some of that is in transition would be unaffected that those players would probably be more limited because if other teams are jamming up the inside more then these drives would have more contests and it would be a different circumstance so i think the the overall offensive balance and ecosystem is healthier this way than it would be otherwise but i enjoyed the thought experiment all the same okay we oh sorry so, do you have any yeah thoughts any now? yeah yeah i mean any pushback there so we're, we're kind of <laughs> opposite um, to what yeah, you're saying I, I so if you could be a happy medium you know i think if maybe uh you know they had like five seconds you know i just i want to be able to see you know sangoon throw about four or five different fakes before going up for a hook shot you know i think people enjoy that to some degree but it's just sometimes yeah. i'm so anxious like oh my god he's already been there for two seconds you know i think three seconds it's not called uh consistently because it's actually a very short amount of time and i think they usually give them like a couple more seconds so i think just a little bit more leeway um may be healthy but um but uh, yeah i totally understand what y'all are saying thank you so much for the answering yeah i guess to respond to that too i mean i think in actuality it really is kind of more like five seconds at this point in time number one because they're not generally the referee is not going to start counting the moment somebody enters the lane right like it's really once he gets into the lane and is kind of actively trying to get the ball that's what will attract the referee's attention and kind of start the count and then also it's three seconds the rule is as long as you are imminently exiting the lane within three seconds so essentially as long as you start moving out of the lane by the time three seconds has happened you're not going to get called for it it's really more of a deterrent thing i don't think that the referees are like desperately trying to call three second violations yeah. there they're more, inter they're more interested in calling charges <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right who's next here danny let's go to seven seven you're on the air 
Hi guys, just a quick one. Um, what is or what are some good reading materials or books for basketball? I still haven't gotten into Seth Partnow's book yet. I read one chapter as he was writing it and was blown away by how good it was. And so I'm extremely excited to read the rest of it. I getting into the sport, I thought that basketball on paper was a good way to kind of introduce it. Now, analytics and all of that has shifted a lot. You know, like there's there's been a lot that has developed since Dean Oliver wrote that. But I think that's good. And my favorite book, I know Nate has a couple other good ones. Um for kind of like more life in basketball, uh, Breaks of the Game is an absolute classic. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, my losing season is by one of my favorite authors, Pat Conroy. It's about his senior year at the Citadel, which I think just like really captures what it's like to be part of a team, even one that's not fulfilling expectation. I mean, he's he's just an unbelievable writer. Like he's he's probably the best writer of any of these guys. Uh, the Jordan Rules obviously is an unbelievable book as well to get a little bit of a handle on what that Jordan era was like. That's that's probably to me the best of just like, hey, follow this team through a season uh, as well. Um, I was starting to look it up. I can't remember the exact name of it is, but it's basically called like Pro Basketball Coaches or Pro Basketball Playbook or something. Let me see if I can find it. Um, but it's basically written by a bunch of NBA coaches in the late 2000s, just with some basic play concepts and just a understanding of terminology that can really kind of help you there if you want to get a little bit more into the weeds on that um let's see what what else is out there i don't know anything else i'm forgetting here dan i mean there are a lot of awesome oh uh, loose balls loose balls is an amazing one as well i mean this storytelling from the aba period it is completely ridiculous i mean do you want to narrow it down at all just like a, a category or something that you type of thing that you're really trying to get into seven yeah, I was. Um, I, I've looked up a couple books, and some of those um, did come up. I was thinking more like the analytics side, um, things like that, explaining you know kind of how basketball is played and things like that, um, stuff like that. I was looking forward to kind of get a deeper understanding. A lot of the stuff you like that are, that's reported and that people shed some light on is doesn't really go that deep into the weeds. So I'm just trying to find different material that I could use to you know get a deeper understanding, see what like you know the analytic people see or what the front office sees things like that yeah seth's book ben taylor's book those could be good places to good places to go yeah thinking basketball thinking basketball is really really good Uh, i highly recommend that uh, quite a bit um uh, let's see oh yeah nba coaches playbook is the one that that i was talking about uh techniques tactics and teaching points i mean it's got a lot of crazy stuff you know hubie braun and mike d'antoni on transition offense there's a lot of really cool stuff in that but yeah i think like thinking basketball seth's book nba coaches playbook i think those are three if you're really trying to get more into the nba game and understand it at a deeper level i think all those are really really good all right, perfect. Thank you, guys. Have a great holiday. Thanks, you too. Thank you. So I was man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. 
And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix Sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us to you we can go to eric eric you're on the air hey guys uh i have a a pod request and then a quick question if i may okay um pod requests i would love to hear you guys do a retrospective on the best and worst contracts you've done in the past particularly the worst ones looking at like okay did they actually turn out as bad as we thought like for example john wall yes definitely but wiggins maybe was not so bad um so at some point i'd love to hear you guys go back and, and look at some of those um in terms of the the question, I was thinking if the NBA had rules more like baseball, where there was no salary cap and you, no limit on the uh, the number of years of contracts, which players today do you think would get the most 
total money? Like, would you give a crazy 12 year deal to Luca or would someone like Evan Mobley get a 16 or 17 year deal? Um, just kind of curious what you guys think about that. So, so the premise basically is there's no salary cap and everyone is a free agent right now. Yep, exactly. What do you think, Danny? My first thought is Luca, because even though this has been a disappointing year for him, this is still his age 22 season. And not to not to spoil anything, Nate and I are going to do top 10 prospects soon. And I happen to have been prepping for that right before we did we did this Twitter Spaces. The level that he has played at the two previous years is unusual for a player that young. And longevity, I mean, I think there are some concerns, but there aren't the level of concerns that you would have with somebody like, obviously, Zion would be in a different category. And also... As you know, while Trey Young made it further in the playoffs last year, his team did than Luca's team has. I would say I was more impressed, and I'm more of a believer in Luca as a playoff player than Trey Young. And there's a lot of context they ran into the Clippers and everything else. So Luca, Luca's the weird. I mean, this is also a weird point. Nate and I have talked about this when we do our Crystal Ball podcast, in that we're still kind of figuring out who from this next stage and that doesn't have to just be players 23 and under it could be somebody who's 25 or 28 or something we're kind of wondering who's gonna take take the lead there and be the you know real not only an heir apparent to like first team all-nba but to being somebody we could call the best player in the world and Giannis is I mean Giannis is unbelievable and he's still younger than a lot of these guys but if we're talking like total years and dollars I wonder so Giannis right now age 27 that's roughly five years older than Luca and Luca's older than some of the guys like John like Ja that are actually I think they're about the same Nate um and Nikola Jokic has to be in that conversation, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. So he's, he's 26. I mean, I, I mean, I guess. So if we're, let's just, just put it this way, right? Let's say we are doing the, you know, who's just going to get the most guaranteed money of anyone over whatever period of time. Um, You know, I, like, and you can give as long of a contract as you want. And I guess we would assume essentially that like the player, the player is just try like his only goal is to get the most guaranteed money, right? He's not sure. We'll, we'll just pretend fair. that he's not concerned about wanting to have a potentially having a contract that's too long that where the uh, where salaries would just surpass it or something. So they're not concerned about that. They'll just take whatever the most guaranteed money is from from whatever team. Yeah, I mean, I. Th- I think I probably would go with Luca. I don't know. There, there's a little bit of a concern there. I I think, you know, Jokic to me is going to age better than Giannis. I think Giannis is better than Jokic as far as championship equity. Um, You know, would you want to? Uh, and yeah, I mean, and, and we've talked about this too, of how between probably like, you know, Giannis and Jokic, you know, Giannis and Jokic are basically the same age. Uh, Between the, them and Luca, you know, there isn't really that like unbelievable, generational type star who you're like oh man this guy's right in in his prime i think it probably it comes down to luca or Jokic for me i mean is there anyone else who's even in the conversation i guess you could say Giannis, but i just i worry about how well his game is going to age given his reliance on athleticism who, who are we missing here i mean like you know i don't think john ja morant or zion any of those guys are are anywhere near that level i mean would you i don't think anyone in the 2020 or 2021 draft is that that type of level yet so i think it would be luca 
Probably Luka and then Jokic and then, gosh, who would be third? I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, I think it's particularly interesting right now because it doesn't really appear to be a next LeBron or even Durant yet that we that we can see who's like clearly just going to be the best player in the league for quite a while. I think just being a baseball fan as well and an observer, I tend to think maybe we'd be surprised that one of the really young guys would end up getting a crazy contract yeah. that just goes out lengthwise. Like, like it wouldn't shock me in an environment like this for Cleveland to give Evan Mobley like a 20-year contract. That, that just shocks everybody, but they go ahead and do that, and that ends up being the best dollar value just because of the length. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened over one of the guys who's a couple of years older than that. But talent-wise, sure, yeah, I, you know, it wouldn't be crazy either to see Giannis get you know seventy million a year or something like that for for a shorter contract, but from a team that's willing to do that because they think they can win right now. I'm going to give you one other name. I haven't watched nearly enough of him to to say that I could like that I would do this or anything. Victor. Wembenyama might be in this conversation if he's as good as some people say he is. I mean, he's only 17 at this point, but theoretically he would be eligible for a contract like anyone else. Yeah, it'd be super interesting if you opened it up. Um, cool. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the response and uh, appreciate these sessions. Absolutely. We can go to Chris. Chris, you're on the air. The legends. How are you? How's it going? Doing so, well. Chris, always good to uh, hear from you. Uh, so first off, before I get into my question, I see that Brian Windhorst is listening in and it blows my mind that uh, after all my years of seeing Brian Windhorst on sports at an ESPN, that he's listening to something that I have to say. So hello, Brian. I uh, hope you're well. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my question actually is, so I've been working from home the past couple of days um, and I've been listening to your guys' pods and I've been listening to your guys' pods for, oh man, I would say probably at least three to four years now. Um, and through your guys' pods, and I'm sure you've heard this from tons of people, your guys' stuff has has kind of developed my 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 brain, like my as a basketball fan. I've learned to think more critically and to look at deeper into analytics. And I, you know, I've kind of grown as a fan through your guys' podcast. But my question for you is if, you know, for someone who was in my position three or four years ago, what are some deeper stats that you would suggest they look into to kind of grow their, to develop the basketball mind a little bit more, to not just look at points, rebounds, and assists? Are there some key stats that you would suggest to a basketball fan to grow their knowledge of the game just outside of the narrative-based um, type of world? Whoa, whoa, let's, uh, what do we, oh, did, Someone in the uh, in in the background there was was getting some music on. Uh, that's all right. This, this it, is an it, informal. It was it was, it was removed. <laughs> it's uh it's an informal show here. Um, sorry, sorry, I got a little bit distracted there. Um, so let's uh, refocus here. What's the, the question? Kind of stats, stats, and and things to kind of get a deeper understanding. And I I think for me one of the important elements, and you hear me talk about this a lot on the podcast, but part of it was for me it was an important part you talked about like evolving your mind and getting used to this is trying to gain greater context for those sorts of elements so let's say a team is doing really well defensively are they doing a great job stopping shots at the rim are they doing a great job because opponents are missing a ton of threes and rel- scaling things relative to league average i think a lot of especially the team stuff on cleaning the glass i think you can get to a really good place with that and sometimes i think i use opponent three-point shooting as too much of a crutch because there's so many other ways but it is 
is a it is something that we know teams can do relatively little to control over time. So that's something that I think about a lot. And for players, I mean, I I for one of the basic ones for me is also just watching a lot of film, I'm trying to get a, a greater sense of of okay, this guy's doing that. I, re- I remember um, I brought up that Nate and I are researching top ten prospects, like watching a ton of Shea Gilgis Alexander pick and roll film last year gave me a much greater appreciation of what he was doing out there. And it's too hard. I as much as I think we do a really good job of tracking every team to track every central player all the time enough. So sometimes doing a doing a deep dive and it can give you can give you that sort of a sense. And synergy is a great way to do it, but it doesn't happen. Uh, for me, I think you hit on it already, but to reiterate, I think just looking at what whether they're just fluky, unsustainable shooting numbers in either direction just makes you understand the context of things so much more than you would have. So I'm, I, I that that's just the the number one thing of just like to get an understanding of where the variance really is and what I think I would say just in general any kind of a number that you're looking at to just know when it's just such an outlier that it's unsustainable in either direction. That's probably the biggest thing I would say for me. Sure. Those are those are great points. Uh, I appreciate you guys taking my questions. I will say that last night, it was great to see you guys in the NBA cast. Got to see the legends on the screen, you know. Got to see them calling the game. There was a great sequence with some great ball movement by the Warriors. Got got Nate a little hyped. You know, it, was, it, was it, it definitely got Nate hyped. That was, that was fun. One, one last quick question for Danny. Did you like Spider-Man? No spoilers, but did you like the new the new Spider-Man? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. To El Gordo. El Gordo, you are on the air. Gentlemen, happy holidays. So, um, to me, it feels like the Cleveland Cavaliers are this year's versions of last year's Knicks. I feel like they'll probably end up in the playoffs, but I don't know if they have a team built for long-term success and they could probably take a step back next year. So with Rubio being an independent free agent and all that, do you think that they would look at something like, like if, if let's say Mavs wanted to offer like Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith, do you think that the Cavs would entertain that in exchange for either Colin Sexton or maybe if the Mavs presented an opportunity to offload Kevin Love's money, um, would the Cavs be willing to part with like an unprotected first? Like for the Mavs, I'm trying to asset build for the Cavs, maybe maximize this year, see what Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith look like, see if they're worth re-signing long-term, and if not, you know, maybe using them in a signing trade or something in the offseason. Do you think there's any potential for a deal there? Yeah, that's a, an interesting one. I, I, you know, Finney Smith's maybe a little bit older than the Cavs timeline. I do like the idea of Brunson, although he's not as big as Rubio. So playing him together with Garland going forward might not be amazing. And then also your other problem with Brunson is he's a free agent at the end of the year. They can't really extend him uh, at a, a number. I think that would be commensurate with something that he would want. I think he's going to be looking for close to 20 million a year. And so now they could use they could use bird rights to come to let's call it an understanding that wasn't right. an extension but happened on you know that they could do something yeah. like that i'd like like i'm convinced happened with norm powell right but i mean i think do you want to spend in your long-term salary structure 20 million dollars a year or close to that on another small guard next to darius garland do you think that brunson is the answer closing games next to garland also this is a team that 
as long as they're playing Allen and Mobley together is never going to have unbelievable spacing. And so I think Brunson really benefits from having a lot of spacing that how he gets to the rim. I don't think ultimately I would be as interested in that as Cleveland. I think they need somebody who's better than Finney Smith going forward, maybe younger, maybe something they get in the draft. And then Sexton, they can hopefully use restricted free agency to hold his salary down at the point where you know, you can pay him kind of good third guard money and he can give you a lot of what Brunson was giving you. So I ultimately don't think I would want to go there from Cleveland's perspective. But it's an interesting thought. I, I, I like it because, you know, Cleveland could use another ball handler and another wing. So I understand where you're coming from there. And on the other point, oh, sorry, on the other point, I'm more optimistic that Cleveland's defense defensive success is not fully repeatable they're having a lot of three-point shooting luck and don't expect that to continue but they I especially now that a Coro at the two I I don't know if that's what they're going to go to like permanently or anything like that but I think that's really opened some stuff up defensively can't and then can you figure out like find a wing or something else to get that to work I'm especially because they're doing it with some younger players and maybe it's maybe it's that I'm I'm believing in their defense more like I think it's more sustainable than what the Knicks are doing offensively we'll have to see and then one last question: Who? What's your? What team do you guys have pegged for making like not necessarily a panic trade, but a trade to where maybe a team thinks that with the right move they can kind of vault themselves into being a you know a borderline contender, somebody that really is a team that isn't really being discussed right now. Huh? I've wondered. I've wondered that about the Celtics. Their war. Their war chest is not nearly as robust as it used to be. But does Brad Stevens think that they're you know they're fifteen and sixteen right now? But do they potentially get there? I I think New Orleans is going to make a trade like that, even though they're not particularly good. Like I, I David, I, I've said this so many times going back to Hennigan and numerous other ones that the most dangerous place organizationally to be is a general manager who thinks he needs to upgrade to keep his job. So yeah, let, let me, th- I think the Celtics is an interesting one, but uh, again, I mean, we're, I think we can assume that no huge superstars are available. There, there really are not that many, like the Warriors are probably the team that's a true contender that has the most assets available yes, I would agree. you know i'm not sure who else would be in that category um you know actually i, I had an interesting one i i had this in my chat today danny what if the grizz traded for miles turner i'm on board you know they've they've I got a couple that, of, i don't yeah. think that makes them i don't think that makes them a contender i don't know that their half court offense is quite at that level but it would make them much more dangerous for sure yeah i, I mean i think you know jaron we like him at center but with him and with turner you would have a ridiculous defensive front court but both those guys can shoot as well so you have a lot of versatility they could space the floor for one another you still have john dylan brooks on the perimeter oh i was thinking dylan brooks might be in the trade uh well i mean my thought was just that they would they've got all these extra picks that they would just go the picks route uh, they've got oh, they can do yeah that. i mean they they've got that lakers pick uh from the trade down you know they've got some other kind of young guys who might be okay but they, they've got i think they could come up with the matching salary. probably steven adams would would be your matching salary in that deal most likely uh and you know you could probably put jared culver into it as well as you needed to, if you needed to but they have uh three surplus picks right now they have the lakers which is top 10 protected they've got utah's which is top six protected this year that's not amazing and then they've got golden states which is top four protected in 24 and they also have all their own picks going forward so they could i think they could do it just with the draft picks get turner assuming he were amenable to potentially extending there and then you just say hey you know what we're we're just gonna have the best defense in the league and we've got jaw you know kind of build it similar to 
the way those Bulls teams were with Derrick Rose and build you still have they still do a great job of drafting our guys they still have Bain as well that I think that could be really interesting so that's that's my idea for you what do you think of that oh I, I started to smile like the Grinch as soon as you said it. So, yeah, <laughs> that's food for my soul um but hey love you guys as always looking forward to the mock trade deadline podcast it's worth the price of admission alone so thanks again guys yeah th- thanks for joining us uh The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout easy remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us well, let's get to dan here dan what's what's up man how are you hey guys how you doing couldn't be better couldn't be better what do you got for us um so i was thinking about brandon ingram uh the other day and it led me to i don't know maybe this would require a little bit more research but i was wondering which players who have made an all-star team in the past like i don't know two or three years do you think will never make another all-star team all right so who are our candidates here we got savonis we got ingram we got ben simmons um who else are are we missing here I mean, among recent all-stars you like, you calling it up Mike conley maybe oh 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 yeah yeah i mean conley that's that one is tough uh yeah just for especially because he only he made it after with a couple of injury oh, replacements uh, as well v- vooch was an all-star last year oh yeah yeah that one that's that's probably even more so than some of these i mean these, these other guys are kind of younger guys whose circumstance got him in there but yeah i mean vooch nearly impossible to imagine that he's gonna make it again i would say pascal siakam maybe yeah he's young enough that maybe it could happen but yeah i think that's a pretty good one as well <laughs> i think he might make it on fan voting but what about russ when did he last make it he made it in 2020 he made it in 2020 yeah 
Yeah, it's kind of unfair to say the older guys just because they're they're like not supposed to be making all I, I kind of find it more interesting for the young guys where you're like, oh hey, he made his first all-star team at 22 or 24. Like he's gonna be a perennial all-star going forward. And then it's like because those because I think kind of the spirit of your question is you know the, the record yeah. scratch of careers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the one-time all-star guy who like something crazy happens and then they have a great year and everyone's excited about them, and then it turns out they were maybe never at that level. Uh oh, I got one for you guys julius randall ah yeah i think yeah that's a good yeah one. The, but I, I it's a really interesting question i think because it's like yeah which which of these all-star selections were like hey th- it was just the narrative people got caught up in it they were having a fluke year and even though they're young they're just not going to make it again uh, I, I think that's like a super interesting question it, it, it's it's three years ago but i would be surprised if d'angelo russell were not a one-time all-star yeah yeah but another guy who was i mean he was in his fourth season at that point wasn't he yeah yeah so i he, he fits the bill it's just that it was a couple of years ago so it's a it feels different now but that that is, he's a pretty good example he was also i believe an injury replacement uh that is correct yeah yeah no that's a, that's a great question dan any others that come to mind to you oh he's gone so uh apparently yep. not uh all right who's next sir <laughs> sean you are on the air well if you're not muted you're on the air oh there we go hey thanks guys hey quick question how often do you guys get contacted by agents front offices from other teams with either critiques or add on analysis or maybe just questions about what you think about certain players feedback guys podcast world that are very now agents front office teams um it definitely happens less now that we're on dunked on prime just because it's it's not necessarily public and i'm glad that we're doing dunked on prime but one small downside is that it's not just available for that many people um also the other reason i think it hasn't happened as much as just we haven't seen people in person nearly as much as we used to so i haven't been able to just kind of catch up with people talk to them uh everyone is super busy as well i think a lot of times i will reach out to people and see whether if i have an opinion usually one that's especially scathing honestly enough that will make me kind of uh i don't want to go there until i've you know have heard their side of it basically or at least can kind of present their side of it um but yeah it probably used to happen more before the pandemic not as much now for a a number of reasons I, i also just don't tweet as much i would say also so that that's probably another aspect of why it doesn't happen as much and you know i mean maybe maybe we're we're just not as relevant as we used to be at least among people who who in the nba i mean i think we're i'm very happy with our overall relevance relevance but just as far as like people in the league viewing us as kind of like tastemakers or something like that i think that's happened less maybe than it did a couple years ago maybe danny's experience a little bit different than mine Nope, I haven't. Um, I, I think that it's and it and it's a challenge, especially for you know the the switch to make more episodes non-public is is a it makes it harder for different for that kind of that level of pen, let's call it market penetration or like kind of cultural like basketball cultural penetration. It's it's different, but it does happen sometimes. And then the other thing is like if, if there are pre-existing relationships, then that sort of thing can be a little bit different. But and I, I like that Nate brought up the in-person stuff because a lot of it can be kind of informal of like hey you know you're just like you're just at you know oracle or now chase and just talking with people who are there as opposed to getting you know getting hit up on twitter on email by somebody in one of those but yeah that's it's it's still a weird circumstance when it like it still feels strange to me but it's yeah it's it's fun cool so do you get the urge to like contact guys you know and be like hey i got a great idea for a trade for you you should do this it'd make you look smart or is, is that not tempting to do 
Um, probably the most I would, because I, I don't think that I'm seeing trades that other people aren't seeing. And generally also, I would say that most of the people that I talk to, the reason that I talk to them is because they found the show. They thought our analysis is pretty worthwhile. We think pretty similarly. So I don't think there's really anything that I would come up with that would be so revelationary to these people. Um, you know, it might be with some other people, but they, the, the, where, where I could provide the most value is probably with people that i don't talk to and so uh i would say you know if i have like friends in the coaching community and i see a play that i really like and i'm like hey this they ran this in this game like this would work really well for the guy on your team that's probably more of what i'll do because i realize like not everyone can watch every game so i might actually be useful for them um but yeah trade ideas no i, I mean sometimes people from teams will call me and will just like bat some stuff around if there's like something that they're like very tangentially thinking of doing um but it's rare that i would reach out and say hey you should try this uh have you not thought of this because they probably have. it's their it's their job to think about their team you know 30 times as much as i do because i think about all 30 teams right yeah no that's awesome well thank you guys for the insight i appreciate it merry christmas yeah merry christmas to you too and let's get to one more here uh that's gonna be bpg what's up hey guys i have another uh calves question oh yeah Seems like with the development of uh, Garland and, and the addition of Mobley and <clears throat> all their young guys, that everybody's really high on the Cavs' future. So I'm curious how y'all would rank the Cavs with the other rebuilding teams, the Thunder, the Rockets, the Magic, and even some of the teams that may be a little bit ahead of that, uh, Memphis and the others. Uh, just kind of how do you think the Cavs rank in that list of teams that are building for three, four, five, or even longer on, on the timeline? Ooh, that's a great question. In some ways, I wish that they weren't quite as good as they are right now because it doesn't seem like they necessarily have another high pick in their future. Although I, I do think there maybe is a, some potential for a Knicks sort of regression for them next year. But the difference I think they have with the Knicks is they have two young stars in Garland and Mobley who are, are going to continue to get better. You know, if they have some type of an injury to Mobley or Garland, then maybe things might change a little bit there and you could see them having it down year. But I'm, I'm going to assume that they're probably not going to really be drafting high in the lottery unless they get some crazy lottery luck that said i think i would clearly put them ahead of orlando i would would you clearly put them ahead of detroit danny i would as of now detroit could change that if they get some real lottery luck and build it but right now yeah i think they're ahead of them i would have them well ahead of okc even though i really like shea i just i worry about the rest of okc's talent they don't have the defensive or offensive identity i think that cleveland is kind of getting towards um so so we disagree there i would uh, if we're gonna say if we're gonna rank them in terms of their chance of winning a championship in the future i would actually put okc higher um, well i was focusing more on the talent that they already have on the oh oh yeah i mean well i'm throwing in i'm throwing in the future the potential for future assets and draft picks as well i think that was that i assume was kind of the thrust of the question if you're just talking about like so if we were doing like our young cores ranking then yeah cleveland would obviously be ahead of okc they would be ahead of a lot i mean they're they're winning a bunch of games based on in large part you know jared allen would still be in that young core mobley garland yeah none of the teams that he mentioned would be anywhere close to even cleveland what are they 18 19 and 12 now and they're number one in the east in srs so probably be them in memphis in that kind of like still count as and does memphis even count as rebuilding anymore i mean they're just young they're young and good as a 
as a Thunder fan, if you'll include all of the future draft picks, uh, that's my intention. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I thought you meant. So, yeah, I still would give the Thunder a higher upside. I think I still like Memphis's management more than Cleveland's, although you have to bump that up a little bit, certainly. But uh, even though I think they've also had a lot of pretty bad missteps, um, I still think I would I like Ja a little bit better than Mobley. Um, I mean, that's really interesting. Ja and Jaron versus Garland and Mobley uh like what what is a better foundation that's fascinating as well um yeah so i think i like memphis a little bit better they got some other young pieces that the the calves don't necessarily have they've got more assets going forward as well i mentioned that memphis has those three extra picks which cleveland doesn't have any amazing i mean that's, that's pretty amazing that cleveland has no surplus picks going forward and yeah i think i'd probably have memphis above cleveland i probably would have okc above cleveland and i think that they would be third now to me of that group um but i think you know all the okc memphis cleveland i think you got to feel pretty good about those teams then i'd probably go houston although cade to me is probably the best guy of the remaining team because we've got that that's why that's why i'd go detroit over houston yeah both teams are going to be bad for a while so that they have kind of let's call it equal equity there houston does have those picks coming down the road but they aren't like i so i'm looking at what okay so what houston has because they owe some picks but they're protected and they're pretty rough right now the ones they have that are potentially intriguing like so not not every pick this is an encyclopedia that i think brooklyn's still going to be good enough in 23 24 so it's probably that pick in like 25 they have a, they have one there and then brooklyn's 26 and 27 with one's a swap one straight up those could be interesting yeah they got brooklyn this year milwaukee next year they, they've got uh four extra picks and then three swap rights with brooklyn but then they also have their 2024 first a weird swap in 2025 to okc and then 2026 to okc but those everything to okc is top four protected at least which which is good and then detroit what do they have for future picks they've got a little something right no they're actually out they're out one and they don't have any they're out that weird pick to yeah, okc they don't they don't have any they don't have any extras and then they have that pick that weaver sent to the aforementioned houston rockets and that that eventually went to okc um that's light that's moderately protected for a long time which is actually a pretty big impediment for them if they were looking to trade first which i don't know yeah. what they are I think I would go Houston over Detroit just because I, I like their management better and uh, they have more picks in the future. I think they're both going to kind of be equally bad. Also, the the guys, other than, you know, I think Cade is better than Green, but I'm not like so unbelievably high on anyone else that Detroit has, where Shangun's pretty good. Some of their other young guys I, I like. You know, if Sadiq Bay were playing better, maybe that would change. But I, I think these teams, other than Orlando, are looking pretty decent uh, as far as some of these rebuilds uh, are concerned. It's really the teams that, that are really in the wilderness are your teams like kind of like a sacramento uh, those level of teams where they're just don't necessarily have a, a great way to get better but they're not like terrible the spurs are another one of those teams um yeah this is a great question though and uh anything else you, you wanted to add uh, bbg before we sign off here uh, yeah, excellent, excellent answer. And it uh, seems like you guys like the topic, so maybe a future Dunked on Prime segment could be uh, ranking the rebuilds. Yeah, no, I think like there, there's that. We, we get a lot of that stuff, the ranking the young cores as well. No, that, that sounds pretty good. Although we, we, we may have just done that segment, I think. I, I don't know if that I would have that much more to add. <laughs> well, if we point. if we wait a couple months, we'll feel differently. So we can we can jump in. Okay, now you, you make a good point there. All right, well, thanks everyone for joining us. And uh, we'll, of course, be back 
back later on Dunked on Prime tonight. We'll talk to you all then.